0: All right. I think everybody who's on time is here. So without further ado, Robert has another weekly lesson for us.
1: Great. Hello, everybody. Uh, Today I am in a different location with different equipment, so I hope it sounds all right. And I have a little bit of a surprise instead of... uh...
0: Whoops. Oh, crap. (laughs) Sorry. Stop, stop, stop. I, I meant
1: to mute. Now you're muted, Matt, I think.
0: Okay, that was producer error. I meant to mute myself because of bath time and accidentally muted you and then accidentally muted myself explaining that I had accidentally muted you. So I do this for a living. No big deal. Take two.
1: (laughs) Okay, so I had a friend record the passage today. We're going to try this out and see. Matt, let me know if it doesn't play. I'm going to.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, that's right.
2: After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd was following him because they were observing the miraculous signs he was performing on the sick. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Jewish feast of the Passover was near. Then Jesus, when he looked up and saw a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where can we buy bread so that these people may eat? Now Jesus said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Two hundred silver pieces worth of bread would not be enough for them for each one to get a little. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was a lot of grass in that place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed the bread to those who were seated. He then did the same with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were all satisfied, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather up the broken pieces that are left over so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with broken pieces from the five barley loaves left over by the people who had eaten. Now, when the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed, they began to say to one another, This is certainly the prophet who has come into the world. Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again up the mountainside alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and started to cross the lake to Capernaum. It had already gotten dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. By now a strong wind was blowing, and the sea was getting rough. Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they caught sight of Jesus, walking on the lake, approaching the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat came to the land where they had been heading. The next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the lake realized that only one small boat had been there, and that Jesus had not boarded it with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came to shore, near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the solemn truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the loaves of bread you wanted. Do not work for the food that disappears, but for the food that remains to eternal life, the food which the Son of Man will give to you, for God the Father has put his seal of approval on him. So then they said to him, What must we do to accomplish the deeds God requires? Jesus replied, This is the deed God requires, to believe in the one whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what miraculous signs will you perform, so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus told them, I tell you the solemn truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but my Father is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to him, Sir, give us this bread all the time. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never go hungry, and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I told you that you have seen me and still do not believe. Every one whom the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never send away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Now this is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose one person of every one he has given me, but raise them all up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, for everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him to have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews who were hostile to Jesus began complaining about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus replied, Do not complain about me to one another. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who hears and learns from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. I tell you the solemn truth. The one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died This is the bread that has come down from heaven, so that a person may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews, who were hostile to Jesus, began to argue with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the solemn truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood resides in me, and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father, so the one who consumes me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the bread your ancestors ate, but then later died. The one who eats this bread will live forever.
1: There well, we go um, okay again I hope that sounded all right let me stop sharing my the sound from my computer I don't know It's okay I don't know how to stop that um, all right so uh, I bet everybody's happy to hear the text read in fluent English as opposed to whatever I'm trying to speak over here um, but we are going to begin by discuss by discussing the setting, then the miracle, and then what the miracle means, okay, the aftermath of it. So first, just for us to kind of understand what's going on here from a very practical side, they're on, quote, the other side of the lake, right? Jesus normally would have been on the west side of the lake that, you know, that's where most of the stories we've read so far have happened. He is on the other side. Not that that's hugely significant, but, you know, it gives us a sense of location. Now, this is happening during the Passover, right? We've discussed the Passover already. This is the most important Jewish holiday. This is the holiday that has the Paschal Lamb. Remember, I've used that word before. This is the lamb that the Jewish people would use to expiate their sins, okay, to purify themselves from... Sin and the tradition started right with with that story we read in the Old Testament, where the Jewish people uh, killed a lamb and put some of the blood on on their door, and the the final plague sent to the Egyptians just passed them over, it did not affect them, right? So it is the Passover, huge huge deal, and there's a large crowd. Now notice that the Bible says that there were five thousand men. In this case, unlike some other cases, five thousand men in no likelihood means adult men, adult males, which means that there was an untold number of women and children. The crowd could have been ten thousand people, for all we know. Uh, now, so normally when we say you know Jesus fed the five thousand, that really is a severe undercounting. It's it's larger than that. Not that that has a theological significance, but. But I think it's important to know that to understand the scene here that's you know what's actually going on. Um, And the last little detail when when Jesus gives them the bread first he gives thanks. This would have been customary uh, at a meal where the the father of the family or the leader of that group would probably do that. We don't have any of the blessings like we don't have any writing of that time that describes one of those blessings we have later writings if those if those later writings are representative of the time it probably those blessings would have sounded something like you know blessed are you who bring forth the bread from the ground which is not unlike something we might say today well so let's talk about the main miracle, because really we have two here, right? We have the feeding of the 5,000 and then we have the walking on water part. I find it remarkable that the walking on water part is like a parenthetical. It's not the star of the show. And I'm not saying that it's not important, but what really matters here is the feeding of the 5,000. Now, what are some of the things that we really need to notice so that this miracle makes sense to us as a sign right as a sign of what it's trying to point to well first of all this is evidently and clearly a miracle and and again i mean i I said this at the beginning of the bible study i suppose you know if you if you don't believe the text you could say oh whatever it's a legend that that's not what i mean i mean if the text is true right this was clearly a miracle for all involved Think about what it would take to feed thousands of people, even in modern times. Like, you know, it it, it takes just like, (laughs) it takes modern logistics that would take months to plan to to have, say, a wedding or something, like an event of that sort that would feed, again, not just 5,000 people, but maybe closer to 10,000. So everybody there would have known that there's something going on here there's a miracle happening there's no way that he had food for ten thousand people like stashed in his tunic or something yeah yeah so it's it's very clear to all who are there notice also what is being distributed to the crowd you have you have um, fish and you have bread and most importantly really we it's what it's what that represents it represents meat and bread right now that's not going to make any sense but just kind of make that mental note because we're going to compare this to a story in the old testament which has the same two elements the meat comes from a different source but the connection i would say is fairly undeniable another important detail in the text is that everyone eats until they're satisfied and there's still a bunch left over right so people eat to satisfaction they eat as much as they want to and then there are 12 baskets of leftovers. I'm not really going to comment on the fact that there are 12 baskets, not because I'm trying to like hide something or whatever. Um, The Bible often uses numbers to represent things, and the number 12 certainly could have significance. You know, there's 12 tribes. It could represent, uh, you know, like the kind of the sheer quantity the fact that that they were not even close to running out it could represent there was truly provision for everyone Uh, that's besides the point at least for for my purposes what we just need to notice is that there is plenty uh, to go around okay so that is the main miracle then and, and I'm going to come back to what the miracle means. But first, we have this parenthetical to deal with, which is the walking on water. Okay, so let's let's talk about that briefly. And we're going to come back to the theological points that are in the text. Well, the, you know, the disciples, they take a boat. They're going back to quote unquote, their side of the lake, the side of the lake that they're usually on. And Jesus stays behind. Then Jesus decides to join them and he just walks on water the disciples see this and and i by the way i guess i need to clarify this before i i go on the same miracle really both of these miracles they're recorded in the other gospels well in two of the other gospels uh, mark and matthew uh, at least most of this they give us a little bit more information now for the most part I have been trying not to involve the other Gospels and just kind of take John at its word. Not because, again, not because I have some kind of hidden agenda. I just want to focus on the themes that John is trying to get across, right? And if I start bringing in the other texts, I all of a sudden will start focusing on, you know, what the other authors want to highlight. At the end of the day, it's the same story. It's just what are they trying to highlight, at any rate in this case i do kind of venture into uh, mark and matthew because they have some details that really help explain what's going on here well jesus walking on water is a is a clear christological appearance okay so it clearly points to his divinity to who he is the passage that would have probably come to the disciple's mind, or to the reader's mind, as they read the Gospel of John, assuming this is a person who is familiar with the Old Testament, is a passage in Job. I quoted at length in the blog. I'm not going to read it all, but it ends with. Did I not put the chapter in there? I oh I tried to be so good with my citations. Oh yeah, uh, Job nine. So it's Job nine, chapter nine. And verse eight says, "He alone uh, spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea." That treads is, is pretty much the same word here as walks, right? He's walking on water. So, and that passage in Job, is talking about God, and here Jesus is is doing the thing that Job says only God can do this. Okay, so the, so there's this strong connection with the Old Testament. Now, there's there's really other Old Testament passages that may have come to mind as well but this one is very much on the nose well and when we read the other gospels mark and matthew we find out uh, really kind of one key fact which is that um let me let me read this out loud i guess uh, and then i'll explain it this is in mark and it says then he w- then he went up with them into the boat and the wind ceased They were completely astonished because they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Okay, so they did not understand about the loaves. The clear implication being, if the disciples had understood what the feeding of the 5,000 meant, right, that it meant that Christ is God, then they would not have been as astonished to see Jesus walking on water on this other you know, very clearly Christological appearance, but they didn't, they didn't get the feeding of the 5,000. And we will find out here in a, min- in a minute that neither does the crowd. Um, so I, I would, to kind of sum it up, the, this idea of walking on water, I would say, it, it, it re-emphasizes what the feeding of the 5,000 should have already done. Okay, it should already be clear that this is pointing to Jesus being God, but this is even more evidence if anyone needs it, and clearly the disciples themselves need it. Okay. Then Jesus goes to the other side of the lake, and the crowds quote unquote follow him. Uh, it's evident from the story that not all the people who were at the feeding of the 5,000 would have crossed over, because that would take a small army of boats, which would not have happened. They would not even have been available. But certainly quite a few of those people cross over. And it's also quite reasonable to think that people from Capernaum have joined them at this point. So, there, so there's probably mostly people who saw the miracle, but there's probably also some people who did not. Um, and I'm not trying to you know, like make up too much information. But I I think that's fairly reasonable to assume, you know, to have a a mental image of what's happening here. And then we have the whole discussion about the manna from heaven, just the bread from heaven, and what that means and how it relates to Jesus. Well, before I jump into that, let me read the few verses in Exodus that talk about the manna from heaven. Okay, This is one of the greatest moments in the old testament uh right really the the new testament keeps going back to the greatest hits right And, and certainly this moment would have been one of them so this is exodus 16 4 through 23 but i skip a few verses just for the sake of brevity you can you know you can pull up the citation and read it yourself um so it says then the lord said to moses i am going to rain bread from heaven for you and the people will go out and gather the amount for each day so that i may test them will they walk in my law or not on the sixth day they will prepare what they bring in and it will be twice as much as they gather every other day moses and aaron said to all the israelites in the evening you will know that the lord has brought you out of the land of egypt And in the morning you will see the glory of the lord because he has heard your murmurings against the lord as for us what are we that you should murmur against us and the lord spoke to moses to moses sorry i have heard the murmurings of the israelites tell them during the evening you will eat meat and in the morning you will be satisfied with bread so that you may know that i am the lord your god In the evening the quail came and covered the camp and in the morning a layer of dew was all around the camp when the layer of dew had evaporated There on the surface of the wilderness was a thin, flaky substance, thin like frost on the earth. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Because they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you for food. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each person is to gather from it what he can eat, an omer per person according to the number of your people. Each one will pick pick it up for whoever lives in his tent. The Israelites did so, and they gathered some more, some less. When they measured with an omer, the one who gathered much had nothing left over, and the one who gathered little lacked nothing. Each one had gathered what he could eat. Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some kept part of it until morning, and it was full of worms and began to stink. And Moses was angry with them. So So they gathered it each morning, each person according to what he could eat. And when the sun got hot, it would melt. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers for person, and all the leaders of the community came and told Moses. Uh, he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a time of cessation from work, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Whatever you want to bake, bake today. Whatever you want to boil, boil today. Whatever is left, put aside for yourself to be kept until morning. That is the text. Now, notice the parallels here. Um, there's some there's some very strong parallels. One, like I had pointed out before, you have meat, you have bread. Just like in this story, you have to fish, you have the bread. Everybody eats just the right amount, right? Every by the right amount. I mean, nobody has to go hungry. Nobody has to want for more. Everybody eats until they are satisfied. We see the exact same kind of language in the current passage that we read. Um, so this parallel would not have been missed on anyone. Um, the, the people there at the time and the readers of John would all have immediately made the connection. Okay, Jesus is being a sort of Moses figure in the story, clearly paralleling this story. Now here's where things really take a twist because as we read the explanation of the miracle what we realize is that Jesus is not actually a Moses figure but he's the bread figure now I am not saying that Jesus is not a Moses figure in other ways right and really I should reverse that like Moses is is a type for Christ and when I say type um, type means sort of like a metaphor um, right when someone, is playing the role of of something else or someone else okay so Moses many times functions as a type for Christ but in this particular instance what what Jesus is trying to highlight is I am the bread not I am Moses Um, and and so it kind of turns everything on its head it's certainly not what the reader expects. it's not what the crowd expects and it gets confusing uh to the crowd who is refusing to believe. Um so let's uh let let's talk then about how this develops. First of all, Jesus starts by pushing back, you could say. Uh he says, you know, I know why you're here, you're here because you ate the bread and you were satisfied. So in other words, you're here because you got free food. Um it's you know, it's not because you're here because you you know you understand who i am you have a deep faith in me you're a true follower of me no you got free food great you want more of that okay and then um, jesus clarifies what is the kind of food that he's really offering okay. he he's saying don't seek the the kind of food that perishes the kind of food that goes away uh, or the kind of food that will not sustain you forever but seek the food that remains to eternal life okay so this bread that he's offering is going to remain is going to abide it's it's two ways to translate the same greek word this bread is going to abide forever now this term abide it appears um all over the the new testament but i'm really like i said i'm really trying to narrow the study down to the writing. well to the gospel of john so if i have a choice i try to go to the other writings of john and in both uh, first and second john which these are two letters that they're kind of at the end of the new testament and they they also include this word in essentially meaning the same thing in a different context but pointing to the same thing Um, and let me read this and then we'll discuss it right quick like in In 1 John 3, now, keep in mind, that letter is dealing with an entirely different issue. It's an entirely different discussion. So this is going to kind of come out of nowhere. Um, But it says, everyone who hates his fellow Christian is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Okay, that word residing is the exact same word in Greek, abiding. Okay. Um, So you either have, the, the point is you either have Christ abiding in you or you do not and if you do it's kind of a forever thing right um, and then I give another example from 2nd John which we don't have to go into it now um, and there's another aspect to this food which is that it, it is final there's a finality to this food And we saw this already with the woman at the well. Notice that the same themes are beginning to repeat themselves now multiple times. Which I'm not saying that as a sort of criticism. Uh, In in fact, I mean it quite the opposite. Like clearly Jesus has a very specific message that he's trying to get across. And so he will present it with different miracles. He will say it in different ways. But it's like, here's the thing that you got to get. Here's the one message you got to get. Well, this is the kind of bread that will make you never hunger again just like the water that jesus was offering to the woman at the well was the kind of water that would make you never thirst again and remember i I know i've said this in the past so i'll make this brief but the wording that jesus is using would be very reminiscent extremely reminiscent to be honest of the wording that the rabbis would have used to talk about wisdom or torah right but when rabbis were talking about wisdom or torah the point was a little bit different This if you taste wisdom if you if you quote unquote if you eat some wisdom you will hunger for more which is very positive right if we have some wisdom we should want more and more and more so uh, this is important because Jesus is not just offering wisdom. He's not just a teacher. He's offering something else, something that is final in some way. Okay. Well, then um, Jesus gets into this argument, I suppose, if we want to call it that, discussion, conversation, you know, but it sounds more like an argument to me between himself and the crowd. Now, I, in my blog, I like, rephrase the argument, uh, in kind of a silly way. It's admittedly silly. Um, okay. So take it with a grain of salt. But after each little statement, I give the verse that I'm trying to paraphrase. So you can kind of track along if you want to, but I'm going to read it and then we can pull the, the main topics from it. Um, you know, Jesus, and this would start in verse 27. So, uh, Jesus, uh, again this is my paraphrase, this is not the Bible. He says, your main concern should be doing what God requires to have eternal life. So the crowd responds, what does God require? Jesus says, believe in me. The crowd says, prove it. Uh, Crowd uh, adds, Moses gave us bread. You did that yesterday and it's the very reason that we're here, but we are going to conveniently forget that now. You should really give us more bread. Jesus You want to talk about Moses and the manna from heaven? Let's. What you call food from heaven is not really food from heaven. If you ate something truly heavenly, it would sustain you forever. Crowd. This bread sounds delicious. How do we get some? Jesus. It's me, you dummies. Jesus adds, (laughs) whoever comes to me has nothing to fear. I am true to my word. He will live eternally with me. Crowd. That sounds lame. We want real bread. And you didn't come from heaven. We know your folks. Jesus, quit complaining. You have rejected the Torah. And so you reject me too. Jesus, remember Isaiah 54, 13? All your children will be followers of the Lord. It's in your prophets and it is happening now. Now, I have this weird like note. I call it subtext. And I'm going to come back to that here in just a minute. But the crowd, flesh to eat, gross. Jesus. You know, like when you, uh, oh, I forgot a word there. So this is when you eat, like when you eat the Paschal Lamb that takes away your sin during Passover, which is right now. Connect the dots, people. Trust me to be your sacrifice instead.
3: Okay,
1: so I, I hope that clarifies the conversation a little bit. I will go through it more more slowly here in the few minutes that I have left. But let me point out Isaiah fifty five. So this conversation that we read between Jesus and the crowd is is full of little allusions to Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 55 and there's one little bit of Isaiah 55 that I want to read just so it's clear to everyone that nothing that Jesus is saying is new it was in the scripture right if they they You know, if they truly believed what they claim to believe, this shouldn't be a saw to them as it appears. Um, So Isaiah 55 says, Hey, all who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why pay money for something that will not nourish you? Why spend your hard-earned money on something that will not satisfy you? listen carefully to me and eat what is nourishing enjoy fine wine pay attention and come to me listen so you can live then i will make an unconditional covenant promise to you just like the reliable covenantal promise i made to david look i made him a witness to nations a ruler and commander of nations look you will summon nations you did not previously know nations that will not previously certain nations that did not previously know you will run to you because of the lord your god the holy one of israel for he bestows honor on you right. so i say was talking about this time when they would be offered a food that sustains them that would be free and that this 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 good news would go out to the nations right well really the the main point of this conversation is the fact that jesus is the bread um, that he he's not just moses because again moses normally is a type for christ i'm i'm by no means denying that but that's just not the point of this particular chapter here's jesus saying i'm not just the guy bringing you the the good news right i'm not just the guy who brings you this other bread i am the bread i am the thing that you need that you're looking forward to um and and we have again this reinforcement of what do i need to do then what do i need to to have life what do i need to be reconciled with god just believe in me that's what jesus says right what are the works that you need to do well that work is pretty simple put your faith in me um the crowd does not understand and don't get me wrong um i you know i can sympathize with the argument that When somebody says, you must eat my flesh, that would certainly be strange. It would be the kind of thing that we would reject. But I I don't think that we can forget that this is a conversation between adults who are familiar with the Old Testament. I mean, a metaphor or something like that would not be lost on these people. They, They, if they wanted to understand that Jesus was speaking in a metaphorical way, uh, I think certainly they could have, um, but they don't. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you want to uh, announce questions or anything like that.
0: Sure. As usual, uh, if you have a question, point of discussion, whatever you'd like to talk about, just put question in the chat, and I will get to you in order when Robert is finished up.
1: Okay. Um, in uh, Really, I, I think I'm going to be done at this point i know that there's a a few other maybe things we could have pulled out of the text and but i I wanted to focus on that main theme that jesus at the end of the day is saying i'm not just the guy telling you about the thing i am the thing itself i am what you need you must partake in me and how do you do that by believing in me and if you do so i will not fail you i am true to my word and this is a final kind of thing. You don't need to look forward to some some extra step, some you know, some other savior, some other thing. This is it. So believe, and you will be saved. And with that, I will leave it there, and I can open it up to questions or comments.
0: All right. Thanks, Robert. I see some uh, comments of appreciation for your theatrical paraphrasing. <laughs> uh, so perhaps we'll have some. Discussion about that. Uh, while I wait for people to... We do have a couple, so I see you guys. But uh, but I just wanted to to clarify or just ask for my own understanding. So we've talked a lot about the symbolism of the bread and what the bread represents. And you had mentioned that there's this meat or fish component. Um, should I wait later to understand that more? Or is there symbolic value to, to the meat and the fish that I should understand?
1: No, I... I really don't think that there's symbolic value like separate from one another it's not like hmm. the bread signifies one thing and the meat another one but I guess what, what I was trying to get across was the fact that in this story we have bread and meat It it is just another little thing that would make us think of the story in Exodus you know like a, an audience member would be like This is just like in Exodus when they also had, you know, they had quail and they had manna. In this case, we have fish and we have bread, like the barley loaves. I mean, Um, so so that's what I mean by that. I don't really mean that they each have independent significance.
0: And when we call back to Exodus, and I, you know, obviously I'm doing this because I'm not particularly well read biblically, was the food that was presented in Exodus, was it presented under a similar premise or a different premise? You made this distinction of... Well, in this case, it's sort of a final thing. In that case, it was an ongoing thing. Yeah. When the food was given and consumed in Exodus, was it with that understanding or were people deceived, I guess, is my question.
1: No. Um, so in Exodus, they, they received food from heaven, both quail and manna, um, while they were in the wilderness. So essentially for as long as they needed it to you know, forgot to sustain him until they finally got out of the situation that they were in. Um, and so there was a recurring thing, right? Like they would get meat and and bread every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're here. Jesus is clearly trying to point out this is not like that in that regard, like essentially. That pointed to me, but it's not like a perfect metaphor, because in reality, we don't have in a sense, you know, like you, we don't have to do this multiple times. Once you eat of me, once I abide in you, like I, it's like a one and done,
0: a one uh, and done with Jesus. That's not okay. what I meant to
1: say. That's not what I. Mean. <laughs> I should not have phrased it like that. <laughs> that's
0: that's perfectly uh, fine. I know exactly what
1: you mean. You just... <laughs> I, I meant once for all. I apologize. Right. Right. I apologize. <laughs> right, right.
0: Uh, Okay, uh, Donald, you're up if you're ready to go. Yeah, go ahead and chime in.
3: Yeah, thanks, man. Um, and again, Robert, man, major kudos on your on your paraphrase, um, and especially the last <clears throat> the last sentence you did with Jesus. Uh, quote: "You know, like when you and you left a word out there, and I'm going to substitute you. eight. Yes. Okay. Oh, perfect. Okay, when you ate the Paschal Lamb, that takes away your sin. Okay, perfect. So now I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of a first century Jew, hearing this or reading it. And I'm thinking, okay, I get the eating, the flesh part, and I'm making the connection. And I'm seeing that this is a once for all sacrifice and a once for all time of eating of the Paschal lamb, let's say. Mm -hmm. It's that drinking of the blood part that I, as a first century Jew, would really have a problem with because, well, now, wait a minute. Didn't we always, I mean, we only ate it kosher. We drained all the blood out. Yeah. Okay. So how, how would I make that leap, perhaps? I'm forcing you into guessing again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm sure that we will get comments about this and maybe they will shed even more light. But I would say that at, at this point, right, because Jesus has not talked about his, his blood being the wine uh, and all that, that ha- happens later in the last supper. And in fact, John, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't even include that in his gospel. So I, I don't think that this doesn't is...
3: include the, the Passover or the, uh,
1: The, the last supper the last supper part i don't think is in the gospel of john but if somebody wants to correct me right quick please do uh maybe i'm getting confused between all four gospels but so what i'm what i'm getting at is i don't think he's pointing towards that i think this emphasizes two things one that jesus is speaking metaphorically that jesus clearly did not expect anybody to eat his flesh or to drink his blood right because that would be beyond obscene so so again it emphasizes the fact that this is metaphorical and second I think it emphasizes how gruesome the scene is because actually in the Greek that what we read is much more gross I suppose than the way we translate it into English you know like the net it says you must consume my flesh in the Greek the word that's used is actually the word for chew or gnaw so you mm. must gnaw on my flesh or you must chew on my flesh mm. uh it's very very graphic um and i again i think this is meant to point forward to the to the crucifixion that would be very awful and gory and gross you know in that way or the
3: well i'm, I'm kind of maybe romanticizing here a little bit but or just the level to which we are to be involved, uh,
1: sink your teeth and <laughs> yeah, Shoot me. uh, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's truth to what you're saying as well, since the Jewish people believed that the life was in their blood, right? yeah uh, and that's why you would not you would not drink the blood or eat the blood um and so to drink his blood was was from a, like a theological standpoint it would be like to drink his life force of so oh, yeah. of sorts and i'm not trying to become too mystical here but certainly they did think that the life was in the blood yeah no that i think that's totally valid really
3: because i the first time i really dove into john's gospel <clears throat> i mean my impression was wow this is if there's any legitimate christian mysticism this is it yeah but no that totally that that really does make sense though that Take his very life into you.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you.
0: Thanks, Donald. Uh, yeah. Greg is up next. Greg, if you're ready, go ahead and chime in.
4: All right, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of add on to that. One thing I thought of when going through this, as far as when reading Scripture and reading this passage for us, there's also the um, thing when you're reading it, you want to have Scripture interpret Scripture Um, is something to remember as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know necessarily why I was getting to my um, evidence of the... Well, yeah, is that the Old Testament... Well, even here, looking at it as a Jew, hearing Jesus say that, you look in the Old Testament, it was forbidden for Jews to drink blood or eat meat with the blood in it. Um, So if Jesus was literally meaning he wanted you to drink his, his actual blood out of his body he would have been cast out as a Jew. So then that would have, at least to me, I would think if I was a Jew that say, okay, I can't, I can't listen to him at all ever, if that's really what he meant. So I would think he must mean something else. And and normally isn't that how we're supposed to interpret somebody when they're speaking Mm -hmm. to identify, are they talking metaphorically or are they talking literally? Same thing with scripture. You know, when I'm reading this passage, you know, like the same thing Jesus says in the Bible. If your if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. So we have to interpret that in life. Is he really saying to pluck out our eye or is he saying that we have to get rid of anything that would cause cause us to look at? So those are some of the things that I'm thinking of. And then I don't know if it was Jeremiah, uh, Robert, that. God tells him, gives him a scroll, or even that was metaphorical, and and God tells Jeremiah to eat it. Mm -hmm. So there's other passages, I guess, in Scripture that kind of refer to this eating. And and to me, and then lastly, when believers put their faith in Jesus, his death on the cross, and that they can't do anything, God's Holy Spirit, who is God, comes into us, and we're ontologically, that's a term, I can't remember you can speak to that Robert maybe is what that actually means but we're physically changed so it's kind of like you know that becomes part of us
1: yeah so those are some of the thoughts that I had on that thank you those are those are good thoughts and you reminded me of something that I should have added I think that part of the reason that Jesus is talking in these very I mean kind of gross ways let's be honest especially in Greek like I said it's very graphic remember that this crowd wanted to make him king by force um and so they've kind of decided to follow him for the wrong reasons and in the wrong way and so i think jesus is kind of raising the cost right and saying fine you want to do this then deal with this shocking statement which is not to say that the shocking statement is false not at all it's true but he is just you know raising the ante so to speak uh for this crowd
0: Okay. Uh, Thank you, Greg. And uh, yeah, Brian is up next. Brian, go ahead and unmute yourself.
5: Thanks. I have a question and a comment afterward. Um, The question is in Exodus, this uh, in 16, this whole episode starts with them grumbling about uh, not having any meat to eat. Um, I'm sorry. I I was going to read the verse, but I lost it. Anyway, okay, there it is. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand. And anyway, they complained about their situation. And then in John, uh, 641, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. What do you think that, do you think that's just a coincidence or is there, is there some kind of, uh, significance that, that John's trying to coax out to, draw parallels there what do you you think
1: um I, i don't know i mean i i think you know i always i i try at any rate to be kind of very measured with the the points that i draw out of scripture so i don't i don't draw out quote unquote too much but but if i had to answer the question i think it shows that uh people are people you know like the jews back in the day complained about god they they do at this point like nothing has changed in that regard Um, but I don't know, maybe you have a, you know, a more enlightening comment than that. Um,
5: well, I think we're supposed, I I think we are meant to understand the crowd that Jesus is talking to in much the same terms as the the Israelites and the, and the Exodus, like pretty much like what you said, they were, they're kind of following the same, uh, tendencies and, uh, spiritual failures. Um, but as a, uh, my comment, I, I was reading Numbers 11 the other day, which is sort of a parallel passage to, to the Exodus one. It's they, they, uh, they're complaining again about not having any meat. So God sends them, sends them the quail. And there's, it, and it, it kind of jumped out to me that in John three, and I know I'm several weeks late on this and I wish I would caught on before, but, uh, he uses, there's this double entendre of spirit and wind that, uh, that shows up in both. And, uh, and also the, the role of belief and unbelief. Like it's, I, I think John is, is trying to, he's using Numbers 11 as, well, Jesus is using Numbers 11 as kind of the reference for his, uh, his dialogue with Nicodemus, but I, I don't, I don't want to monopolize the time by, by drawing that out but anybody who's interested I, I think if you go back and read it with that mindset, and the, the the parallels will present themselves
1: that's all that's all i got
0: okay thank you brian did you have uh, anything to add to that robert
1: um just to uh, to get everyone up to speed what brian is talking about is a double entendre with the word pneuma so pneuma means wind or it means spirit in greek and it's the same word that we use for air-powered stuff, right? Like a pneumatic tool. Um, And so back in chapter three, very much in John's style, we have this double entendre where pneuma can mean the wind or it can mean the spirit. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't point that out back then uh, just because we didn't have the time. But that's what Brian is referring to in case you want to go back to that.
5: And I had one comment to that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, well, just uh, along with that, in Hebrew, ruach means wind and spirit and, and, breath. We, it, in English, it's a double entendre. I'm not entirely sure it is in Hebrew or in Greek. Like, I'm not, I mean, my, Robert might disagree. Um, we might be projecting that onto it in the, uh, just like we do with the word heavens. Um, we, we kind of bring modern cosmological understanding of what the heavens are. So we, we make a differentiation between sky heavens and heaven, whereas they didn't do that in the ancient world. Likewise, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure they saw spirit wind and breath as, as, as different concepts. They, I think they might've used the same word for all of them because in their thinking it was, it was the same thing. But anyway, just something to bear in mind is, you, as you read that, if you go back and review Numbers eleven, alongside John three. All
0: right, thanks, Brian. Uh, we are caught up on questions, so and we do have a little bit of time left. So if people are, uh, if if you guys have more thoughts or questions you'd like to offer, uh, just type question in the chat. I'll be happy to uh, to take that from you. Uh, but Robert, did you have any other thoughts you wanted to add, or? If there's some things that you and Brian would like to discuss more at length, there's time for that, but uh, I'll yeah. leave it at your discretion.
1: Um, I think Greg has another thought, and then if okay. we have a couple of minutes, I might add something. But if not, we can just end it, and that'll be all right as well. Yeah,
0: go for it, Greg.
4: Yeah, I, um, another thing that that we're kind of seeing a tr- a trend here with with Jesus and talking to people is that one, you know, with the uh, no, no, in the previous passage, I can't remember what chapter, but Jesus talking to the woman at the well, talking about the water that gives life, and they keep going back to physical things. You know, it's like, give me this water that that won't make me thirsty here, or, you know, give us this food that, and they're not, Jesus is trying to explain to them, but they they keep going back to the physical, and he tries to keep showing them the the spiritual, that he has life for them, but also... I think in relation to that is, you know, in these passages and also through Scripture and, and Jesus points it out himself that the miracles that are happening are intended to show that he is God. And and to me, I would think if God's going to come to the earth to tell people about him and to reveal himself to people, that would be, I would think that would be one of the main Things that it's like, look at what I can do. Like I'm a a man that basically (laughs) like superpowers. Are you going to believe? And then, but he's speaking the words of, of heaven and trying to reveal that to him. So that's his purpose. And he says that in another passage, it's like, don't just believe what I say. Believe the miracles. You know, I'm telling you these things, but I have the miracles to show you that I am who I say that I am. Um, but also just as a a slight, um, addition to the feeding of the 5,000, I think also initially it wasn't just to show who he was, but it's also because he had compassion on them because they're following them and they're in the desert. And I have these people that are hungry. They haven't gotten something to eat. I need to give them something to eat. And same thing with all the healing that he does. It's like God showing his compassion for people and their in their suffering, and especially the Jews are suffering under the Roman rule, but also he's he's helping religious leaders and centurions and people that you know aren't following him. So just showing his compassion for all people of the world. Those are just some other thoughts that I had. All
0: right, thank you, Greg. Uh, did you have anything to add to that, Robert?
1: Uh, I think that's great. I, in fact, what I was going to add, if we had a minute or two, was sure. It really, kind of exactly along those lines that at the end of chapter five, this is a little bit that I didn't cover last week. Um, but we kind of talked about it. That's why I didn't go back to it. But that Jesus says, uh, to the people in, in that, in that scene at the end of chapter five, He says, I have a witness and who is, who is the Father, who is God. And it's because I do the deeds of the Father, I do the deeds of, of God. So, These miracles that he's doing, the the main purpose, they they are to serve as evidence. They are to serve as a witness as to who Jesus is, right? And so that that immediately bleeds into this story when he does the biggest miracle, really, of all the ones that he does. And and let me explain what I mean by that, because he does raise somebody from the dead. Well, two people from the dead. Um, But those uh i think we could say raising somebody from the dead is more impressive than making bread sure but they're more private they're more smaller scale, so to speak this one is undeniable to the crowds there's just no way that he could have had a pile of bread and fish for thousands of people um, so they they should have taken this miracle as evidence as to who Jesus is but instead they go a, a different direction with it um but at the same time I love uh what Greg said about Jesus having compassion on people because he also does it out of compassion and it's not an either or right it's not like did Jesus do it because of compassion or because it's evidence as to who he is well it's really both um, because he could have picked different miracles, I suppose he could have picked really cruel miracles. He could have made lava appear on the floor and burned them all down, uh, <laughs> you know. But no, he the miracle that he chose was to feed them. Uh, so it shows both.
0: Okay, uh, Brian did have a request for one more uh, comment. Uh, sure. Do you want to? Yeah, Bri- uh, Brian, go ahead and chime in.
5: Yeah. Uh, well, another aspect uh, that jumps out to me here is uh, they wanted to. They saw the sign and they understood what it meant about who he was. And their response was to, to make him king by force. I mean, they, they were, they rightly recognized that he was the rightful king. Um, but he rebuked them for that. Uh, you're, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Um, which it kind of strikes me that you know, the, the modern church, I don't want to, I don't, it's not limited to the modern church, but, Churches are filled with people who go there to, to get their social needs met. They, they go there for the psychological and social utility of, of church, of Christianity. But it, it's not, they're not really on, they're not really interested in what God's overall purposes are. Like they just kind of fit God into their life as, as an accessory, not the center. And it's, it's those people who wanted to make king by force, they would have fit in in any modern church or seminary and they would have had the right doctrines, but that's not the same thing as believing in. And, and, uh, I think that's kind of the big,
1: uh, takeaway there. Um, but that's all I got. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. I, this had crossed my mind as I was writing my blog to actually maybe add a little blurb about this, that, um, in the modern context, right? This is what we would call the social gospel. Um, the idea that we should, we should share the gospel because it has a bunch of positive effects on society, right? Um, which is not untrue, right? I mean, it, it, it really is true that Christian societies seem to have stronger families and that leads to lower levels of poverty. Uh, Christians tend to start schools, right? We've started pretty much every big university you can think of back in the day. Okay. Not, not to go too deep into that, but, point being that there's many who have suggested that very thing let's preach the gospel because it will have positive effects in society and just like brian pointed out like jesus a 100 percent rebukes that and says no i mean again not that that is not true not that good things will not come but that cannot be the main reason um you you're just kind of missing the boat here
5: yeah and sorry to jump in again but there's this, uh, there's this local preacher who he has these little radio blurbs every, every, that comes out every week, uh, where he gives this kind of folksy wisdom. And it, but it, like, it always strikes me that none of it's really, we didn't need a Messiah to tell us any of this. It's all, like people think it's about how to get along with your neighbor and how to, how to quote unquote live a good life, which not that those things are wrong or bad, but we didn't need a Messiah for that. And, it just, it just strikes me how much, much of what we call Christianity in church is just man-made nonsense. Jesus is kind of just the mascot for it, but we're not, but, uh, it really has nothing to do with the Great Commission or the cause of Christ or God's overall plan for history. But, uh, anyway, I'm repeating myself now and getting late. Thanks for indulging me. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Okay, we
0: are right about at time. So uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Robert?
1: Uh, no, I think that was a great discussion. Thank you for everyone who participated, and I hope that the recording of the verses sounded all right. If it did, I'll keep doing that uh, in future weeks.
0: Yeah, we can talk about that. From my perspective, I, I found it useful, and I'm sure from your perspective, it's a little bit easier than reading you know, a significant amount of text. So uh, I thought the production value was increased. Um But thank you guys, as always, for uh, participating. And, of course, we would love to see you back here next week at the same time. That's Saturday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, have a great week.